Good morning, friends. Welcome to Myers Park United Methodist Church. My name is Uyan. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful that we can gather to worship and praise our God together as a family of God. Uh, whether you're joining us here in person or online, uh, we welcome you, especially if you are a relatively new or first-time visitor. Uh, we're so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us here at MPUMC. We invite all of us to use our hospitality pad at the ends of your pews. There's also the QR code at the back of your bulletin. For those of us online, there's a little QR link that you can click on to let us know how we can be in prayers with you, share various ministries of our church, and the wonderful things that's happening in the life of our faith community. I'm joined by my good friend, uh, Pastor Nancy. What else is happening today? Well, as you well know, there's a ton of stuff going on at Myers Park. Since we've included this week at Myers Park in your bulletin, we're getting comments like, I had no idea there's so much stuff going on. But there is, and there is a place for you here. A couple things I want to call your attention to on Wednesday, this Wednesday, March the 8th, we have a very special midday music program in celebration of St. Patrick's Day. It promises to be a lot of fun. It's free. Join us on that. And this month we are collecting snacks for our school children friends at Hidden Valley Elementary. Even in Charlotte, we have food deserts where kids don't have enough to eat. So. If you'll find the information here in your bulletin, there's a place for you to plug in and to connect. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
friends here and friends at home would just join our voices together as one as we affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed, which is in your hymnal at number 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you join me in our prayer of confession, which you'll find in your bulletin? Let us pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow in your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Friends, this is the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves his love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time? into the mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it will, and you hear and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes from and whether it, whether it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? And Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's always helpful to ask ourselves, where are we in this story? Who am I in this story? Who might this represent? Is it me or someone else that I know whom I love? Today we're introduced to Nicodemus. This is the only book in the Bible where he's mentioned. He's not in any of the Gospels. He's not in any other books in the New Testament. We know very little about him. Here's what we do know. He's a ruler of his people. He's a Pharisee. But he's a Pharisee without being an antagonist. He knows at the very least that Jesus is a teacher from God, possibly more. Uh, he has this interchange with Jesus in chapter 3 of John. He leaves somewhat confused, but he's not done. He is persistent for whatever reason. He's drawn to Jesus, and we see him uh, two other times in chapter 7 and chapter 19. Now, in chapter 7, uh, Nicodemus seemingly intercedes on behalf of Jesus while there is some sort of an argument going on between Jesus and the religious leaders. Although uh, it seems like Nicodemus is somewhat lukewarm in his defense of Jesus. Nevertheless, he's there. Both times in chapter 3 and chapter 7, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night to suggest that given his responsibility, given his status, given his position in his world, he wishes not to be seen in public in the light, but rather at night. And then we finally see Nicodemus in chapter 19 where he comes following the death of Jesus. He's right there beside Joseph, 
of Arimathea in burial of Jesus. He brings very expensive, costly burial spices in honor of Christ, which leads us to wonder perhaps Nicodemus has finally stepped into the fullness of the light that he no longer feels a need to hide his discipleship. We really don't get a lot of closure to where he ends up, answers to the questions that he has. We do know that he is present, however. I think we can learn a lot uh, from the exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. At the very least, we learn how Jesus treated and interacted with Nicodemus, someone who was unsure, someone who was hesitant, someone who was in many ways hidden of his desires. There are plenty of, we ourselves at some point have been Nicodemus in our lives where we tested the water, we were unsure of our commitment to discipleship. And there are plenty of those in our midst who are that way. Perhaps they can be somewhat frustrating to us. Uh, nevertheless, we know the model of how we should treat Nicodemuses of our world just as Jesus treats him, to be ever patient, to be present, to be gracious. Back in when I was in first grade, uh, after church, a couple of friends and I from church, we would, I don't know if I've shared this story, we would go door to door to evangelize, to share the gospel. And there are a lot of apartments where we live, not the good kinds either, but <laughs> we would just knock on the door and, and we would go, you know, the, 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 we were separated because then we could cover more doors that way. So I would go door to door, knock on the door. And when folks uh, answered, I would have a three-step process of evangelism. It's very classic method. I'm not recommending that any of you do this, uh, especially if you're a first grader, don't, don't do this. Uh, I would say first step, and there's stuff in between, but first step would be if you were to die in your sleep tonight, do you know where you'd end up? Right? Do you know you'd be in heaven or hell? Uh, second step, because I'm concerned for your salvation, I would invite them to church, right? Which, by the way, the pastor of the church was my dad, so that was nice. You know, the pastor's great. And the third step, eventually, I would end this whole uh, conversation with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, sometimes they would, you know, shut the door in my face. Sometimes the conversation would continue. They'd ask questions, and I would, I don't know, say something. Sometimes they would invite me in. Uh, and, and, I don't know, what do you offer first graders? Cookies and milk? And I would go in, which is unthinkable now. <laughs> what, was it? what were my parents thinking? This is mid-80s, though. It was okay then. So, John 3.16. <clears throat> On January the 8th, uh, 2012, there was the game. Not just a game, there was the game. AFC Wildcar playoff game between 12 and 4. Pittsburgh Steelers and 8-8 eight and eight Denver Broncos. The quarterback, starting quarterback for the Broncos was none other than Tim Tebow. A couple of years prior, he, he played in the national championship game for the Florida Gators. He had written right beneath his eyes John 3.16. Uh, and for that 24 hours period or so, John 3.16 was the most searched uh, a topic on Google. A couple of years later, here he is playing in the 
playoff game against the mighty uh, Steelers. It went to overtime. They were tied 23-23. First play in the overtime, Demarius Thomas, as I recall, ran a slant, and Tim Tebow threw the ball for a touchdown. Game over. First play of the overtime. Day one, 29-23. Which in and of itself was a miracle because Tim Tebow did not throw a lot of spirals, nor was he very accurate, but it was right on. Uh, he threw that game for 316 yards. He averaged 31.6 yards per pass completed. Times Magazine dubbed that game John 316 game. Uh, Billy Graham said it numerous times uh, that his favorite verse in uh, the Bible is John 3.16. He dubbed it the gospel in miniature. If the 23rd Psalm is the most popular and well-known chapter in the Bible, then surely John 3.16 is the most famous and popular verse in the Bible. To this day, like many of you, I'm sure I hold the words found in John 3:16 near and close to my heart. Uh, I do my very best. I deeply desire to live into the fullness and the mystery of what we read in John 3:16. Uh, but I also got to be honest with you. There is a part of me deep down where I, I wish Jesus didn't say those words in John 3:16. Uh, because we need not look too far throughout the ages. These very words that I held so close to my heart have been used, misused, uh, to bring about so much pain, exclusion, oppression, and injustice. Uh, these, these words have been used to condemn all other faiths, and their followers. Uh, these words have been misused for violent triumphalism. Uh, these words have been misused to sharpen swords. Uh, I don't need to look into church history to, to see these things. I can tell you from my own, own experience from a very early age, I don't think I did this consciously, but definitely subconsciously, I've, I've condemned so many people in, in my sincere efforts to be faithful, often citing John 3.16. Uh, I, I like to think that I'm no longer that way anymore, so what changed? Well, a lot of things change. Uh, for one thing, it became a pattern throughout my life that the very people that I knowingly and oftentimes unknowingly condemned became the very source of God's blessings in my life. That's challenging. I remember, <clears throat> you remember the sermon that I preached in July 2018? <laughs> that was a joke. Of course you don't. <laughs> that was my first sermon here at Mars Park. I spoke about Mrs. Kim, who taught me the language, the English language, 
when I was in sixth grade. Uh, she was my English tutor from 1993 to 1995, I think. She was an atheist who taught me the very language that now enables me to proclaim the gospel. I remember Mr. Burr in 10th grade. I think the closest thing to religion he had was Star Wars. And he's the one that taught me the joy, the passion for learning. That I shouldn't learn for the sake of grades, but I should strive to learn so that I may grow and to become enlightened. And I remember my friend, Jake, that's not his real name. He's from India. He's Hindu, or at least not practicing Hindu. But I remember Jake, who was my study buddy and friend from college. We majored in economics together. And I don't know how this came up, but I intimated at some point to Jake, and I was quite saddened to say this to him and say, Hey, Jake, you're probably going to go to hell when you die. And Jake had the most beautiful response to to me, and by the way, though we were study partners, uh, he, was, he was the teacher and I was a disciple, so I really needed Jake. <laughs> uh, Jake was the guy that went to go to Harvard MBA and do, have done wonderful things. Uh, Jake kind of looked at me and said, well, Uyang, well, at the very least, can we just be friends now? I thought, what a mature, beautiful response. There's very few things in life that's more disruptive and disturbing than being blessed by the very people whom you have condemned. There are very few things in life that's more transformative than being loved by the very people that you have deemed to be your enemy. I've learned through the years the very obvious lesson that God's love for the world is wholly unqualified. Wholly unqualified. Gail Day and Susan Hyland, uh, New Testament scholars from Wake Forest and Emory, uh, respectively, they write, the incarnation, the word made flesh, is about the possibility of new life, not judgment. So when we proclaim and profess the words from John chapter 3, I think we must recognize that there are, there are consequences to loving Jesus. And there are consequences of being loved by Jesus. And these consequences are costly. Not costly in the transactional kind of way, but the consequences are costly in ways of transformative ways like being born again. There are consequences to the love stories of God. Here's the first consequences. Can we learn to trust Jesus with our own brokenness, with our pain, 
with our darkness, with our rebellion, with our lostness, with our anger? Are we humble enough to invite this God in the midst of our lives so that we may go on to a different and new journey? Journey into wholeness and new love. A journey into wholeness that holds faith in the unconditional love of God. Are we humble enough? And the second con consequence is a journey toward compassion. Uh, one of my mentors once said that people become like the gods that they believe in. We become like the God that we believe in. So who is this God that is revealed through Jesus? And this is a God who holds deep compassion, compassion for the world. I think the difficult lesson sometimes I needed to learn, and perhaps you need to learn this as well, we all need to be reminded from now and then that God loves not just you and me, <laughs> that God loves the world, that God so loved the world. And God's justice is nothing less than God's compassion given to all the people in the world and that this compassion becomes not the exception but the rule. I've shared with you this uh, before. Uh, when I went to college, before I left, my parents gave me uh, frames with biblical words in it. One of them was from Joshua chapter, chapter 1. Verse 9, be bold and be courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the other was from Joshua chapter 24. As for me and my household, we will worship the Lord, he declares. Parents, didn't, they didn't have any money to give me, but they gave me those two frames, which I hold dear to this day. Don't get me wrong. As for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. No offender, buts. Yeah. Long before my kids will become fans of Duke or any other universities that we've attended, uh, they're going to be fans of Jesus. Right. Regardless of how we may or may not feel about other religions and its people, other cultures and nations, we would do well as a people of God to remember how Jesus treated those who were different from him, how Jesus calls us to treat those who are different from us. Uh, the theme of I see is a reoccurring theme in the gospel narrative, including the gospel of John. And it took me a while in my life to see how the, the, the declaration of God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This, this declaration, if you look closely, it's sandwiched between two other proclamations. The one that precedes it is, God so loved the world. And one that follows it is, indeed, God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world. And it's between these two proclamations that we find the, the, the declaration of, God gave his only son, so that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Did you see that? It's to remind us prior and afterwards what this gift is about, is to love the world and not to condemn the world. Karl Barth, whom we share often from this very pulpit, he writes these words, Christian is one who in the light of Jesus Christ is permitted to hope for the best for all people. Even Judas, who betrayed Jesus, this is not a claim to knowledge of the ultimate future or of the mind of God, but an act of trust and hope in the God who loves the world through giving his son to be crucified. So friends, may we possess such hope and trust. And may God's love for the whole world dwell in us, live in us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, would you join me in a time of prayer? O oh God of every nation, of every land and people, before all that is, you were God. Outside all we know, you are God. After all is finished, you will be God. Your name is proclaimed throughout the universe. Your majesty is beyond our grasp. We are your creation, small, finite, limited, hindered and held down by our own sin. Yet you love this creation. You loved us enough to send your only son. You continue to call us to yourself. You pursue us in love. Lord, in your mercy, on this day, we lift up our country and our world, divided as we are by fear, anger, accusations, and the desire for revenge. We're assailed from without and within by contention that seeks to tear us apart. We especially pray this morning for the part of your church called Methodist. In our spiritual flailing, we forget that we are called to be one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. So we pray that you create clean hearts within us, renew our spirits, that we might be your messengers in a hurting world. May others look at us and see you. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for all those who suffer, whether from the savages of nature or from mistreatment by other human beings. In asking that you relieve their suffering, we present ourselves to be used by you in bringing reconciliation and peace. This morning we pray for the families of Charles Walker, Mary Jane McKnight, and Jerry Richardson 
in their time of grief. Grant to each of them your peace and the assurance of your presence. And we lay before you now all of our own fears, our dreams, our dreads, and our hopes. Lord, in your mercy, still our own turbulent spirits by your own spirit, calm the fears that drive the discord, cause us to once again be united in your love that transcends even the beauty of diversity, cure our sin-sick souls, transform our hearts by the renewing of our minds, so that we may discern what is your will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We give you thanks and praise for the gifts of new life and renewed love, for your mercy which is beyond all understanding, certainly beyond anything we could do for ourselves. For what the Father created, the Son reclaims and reconciles, and the Spirit refreshes and sustains. May we daily be born anew into the eternal presence of your goodness and grace. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name and through your spirit, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we prepare to bring to God his tithes and our offerings, I want to thank you in advance for your generosity. It's your generosity that makes it possible for offering all of the incredible programs we have for our children and youth. Everything from handbells to vacation Bible school to mission trips, it's your generosity that makes it all possible.
Generous God, we bring you a portion of that with which you have already blessed us. We ask that you bless it again, multiply it, use it through us in your kingdom for your purposes so that all the world might know your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. convinced, I'm convicted now more than ever that Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. So what does it mean for you and for me, for us to church, to live into the love of Jesus Christ that makes God's love for the world real? What a beautiful, beautiful journey that God has called us into. May the love of this God and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.